Coming up on the Dr. John Deloney Show. Just like many Ukrainians in America and all over the world, we also have family and we have friends that are living in, in the Ukraine. I don't know what to say to my friends. Saying sorry sounds stupid. Saying I understand, I don't. Your guilt will not help them. Hey, what's up? This is John with the Dr. John Deloney Show. Man, hope you're doing well. Hope your family's all right. Hope you're safe. Hope y'all are doing okay. If you want to be on the show, give me a shout at 1-844-693-3291. That's 1-844-693-3291. Or you can go to johndeloney.com slash ask. We got a packed, packed show today, so I'm going to go straight to the phones. Let's go to Kay in Des Moines, in Des Moines. What's up, Kay? Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. So what's up? How can uh, I help? Um, uh, we uh, lost our uh, six-year-old son a couple years ago. Oh, good and, grief. What happened? Um, he went swimming with some friends. Oh, man. And he uh, drowned. Oh, I'm so sorry. What was his name? Caden. Caden. Oh, my gosh. Whew. Yeah. It was rough. It was rough. Um, his sister was there with with them. It was um, my younger two kids that went with, and um, the adult that had him just wasn't watching him. She was over sun tanning, and my kid was off. So anyway, but my question is, is like my oldest will be eighteen pretty soon, and he has not handled the loss that well um he has gone through a roller coaster the lowest of his life um and i just don't know where i just don't know how i can help him anymore um we've even tried to send him into an inpatient treatment um he got kicked out of that we're trying to get him into a place right now but they are looking at his past um he is ready as can be he wants to go but I don't know what else I can do for him. Um, places won't take him, and I don't even know how I can even help him as a mom anymore. I'm so sorry. What a mess. Um, let me ask a couple of background questions. How many how many kids do you have total? Um, I have three. And three. So you had an 18-year-old. How old is your, your daughter? Uh, she's 14. Okay. And then Caden would have been eight. Yep. Okay. And would, was that, is that three? Yep. Yep. And and my oldest who doesn't turn 18 until June. Okay. Um, and so that's where we're coming into some issues as well. So what's been going on? Is he using, is he, uh, if, if he's getting kicked out of treatment centers, that means he's got violent tendency. Like what's been going on? Um, it started with drinking. He was drinking a lot at first when the accident happened. Okay. Um, like daily mm -hmm. and then he kind of had a scare and then he led into what was the scare um, he got really really wasted and he um passed out like i found him in his truck uh like 1 30 in the morning um he had no kind of no idea where i was or who i was or what was going on and mm -hmm. it just kind of scared him because he drove yeah like 20 to 30 miles from where he was supposed to then staying at. And okay. so 
that kind of scared him. Well, then it led into, um, he led into marijuana. Um, and so then he was trying to do that to cover up his pain. Um, before all of this, he, he was a very good A, B student, uh, did all sports, had a great group of friends. Um, after the accident, he lost all of that. He had no motivation. He didn't do sport. Mm-hmm. His grades got a different crowd of gr- kids. Um, how, how did your home? How did your home grieve? Is is dad at um, home? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so how did how did dad grieve? How did you grieve? Um, to be honest, I don't think we had have had a chance to. Okay. Um, we kept pushing and pushing to be. To be active and to be busy at all times because mm-hmm. we had two kids that were grieving yeah. and we wanted to make sure that they were okay. Um, and so I honestly, I don't think we even have had a chance because since the accident, we both have been dealing with now our oldest and then also trying to make life okay for our daughter that has seen all of this sure. and was there, for, you know. So... I'm going to talk to you because our time is compressed. I'm going to talk real directly, okay? I need you to hear me say you and I are on the same side of the booth on this conversation, okay? You promise that? I can mm-hmm. hear in your voice how close Caden is still sitting. He's still on your chest. Oh, yeah. Okay? Caden's still in your home. He's still in your bed, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm going to speak as though you and I have talked for a couple of weeks, okay? Um, And I need you to promise me something. Say, I promise. I promise. That what I'm about to say is not going to be guilt-inducing because that's where you're going to go with it, okay? Okay. This is about tools. And what I mean by tools is um, I had a friend over this weekend helping me use a chainsaw on to cut down a tree and... I was trying to do something with an axe and he pulled out like a hammer and I felt like an idiot because I was using the wrong tool, okay? And so all we're talking about is tools here. You you promise? You you trust me? Yep. Okay. Um, First and foremost, you've got a teenage son who you love and it feels like you're losing another kid. I want you to own that level of gravity, okay? Does Does that sound close to home? Oh, yeah. Okay. We've actually mentioned that. It feels like we lost him. Okay. It feels like you're losing your, your second son, okay? In some ways you are, but in many ways you aren't. I also want to take drugs and alcohol, huge deal, terrifying deal, all that's scary. And here's why I'm not super concerned about that right this second, because drugs and alcohol work. Those are the solution to his challenges. Those aren't the problem right now, okay? You're going to have to deal with the alcohol addiction and those things when you when. But that's for the professionals, and y'all will get there. <sighs> often, often parents, when they lose a child, they double down and say, we've got to help our other kids, and we, what we want to do is make things as quote-unquote normal as possible. We don't want them to lose their childhood because of this. We don't want them to miss out on these experiences. And so a very common narrative, usually it barbells. It's one or the other. It's usually either people shut down and just are encased in amber, like just stuck in syrup, or everybody says, we're going to keep going, going, going. We will grieve when the kids go to college. We'll do that later. 
And what can happen, not always, but what can happen is, and I'm just going to use your oldest son. I'm going to name him Tom, okay? Okay. Tom looks around his environment and he does not see anybody exhibiting what is going on in his body, which is darkness, which is a hole, which is a, the vacuum that you feel when somebody so close to you goes away. Throw in sister was there. And the, you should have been there. Well, I didn't know that kind of stuff. Throw in an adult was there. An adult's job is to keep, make sure everybody's okay, right? So you throw all that complexity in there. And you've got a 16 and your 17-year-old screaming from the inside out. And the greatness sounds counterintuitive. The single greatest gift you can give that 16-year-old is not normalcy because nothing is normal anymore. What you can give that kid is weeping from the bottom of your guts and holding him, letting him see you and your husband weep and say, we're not going out this week. We're all just staying in because what it does for the 16 year old is it gives him permission to go, Oh my God, my feelings are normal. I'm not crazy. And what happens over the course of a couple of years, when somebody's deep in grief and everyone around them looks like they're just going on about their day or trying to have some sense of normalcy, you, the pain becomes overwhelming because now you're isolated. Now you're alone. And so this isn't an advice situation. This isn't a, hey, here's the things I didn't tell you. This is about we're going to start saying Caden's name in our home a lot. This is about we are going to all as a family write letters to Caden. Tell him how much we miss him. And mom and dad are going to read their letters to, to brother and sister. And we might not be able to get through the first one or the second one or the third one. And we might write them a letter that says, I'm so can't believe I let you go with such and such adult. And I, you are still wearing a lot of grief and, and, uh, and guilt too. I can feel it on you. Okay. But these family discussions, these, this, this breathability lets Caden make his way through the hearts and minds and synapses and blood and air of everyone in that home. And right now he's trapped. You hear what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And what I'm saying sounds real, real woo-woo. And you've probably had to build some really strong scaffolding to get through the last few years. If I'm you in your situation, where I would start is A, with my son, with my oldest son, and say, we're going to start with a letter to Caden, you and me. And I, I might even go as far as to say, as, um, hey, we, I've tried to do my best and we missed this one. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start now by, um, we're going to grieve this thing and we're going to do it together. And I would let your son breathe. And he might have, is he, is he, addic- is he an alcohol addiction? Is he a drug addiction? Um, yes and no, I guess. I guess it's not as bad anymore because he's been in a treatment. Okay. Um, and so he hasn't been like really bad. It's more of the the mental issues that he has. Like if it's something triggers him, yeah, then he might go and have okay. some drinks or something like that. But it's mainly his mental, and he knows he can be clean. It's just. Sure. So it's, it's this, it's that, it's that black hole vacuum. 
of loss. And it's the isolation. It's the nobody else in this house seems to be feeling this. Some kids will go get straight A's with that feeling. Some kids will turn to alcohol and weed because it just into pills because it just makes things a little less sharp. But I think your home, starting with you and husbands, and this is hard because here's what I know about you, okay? And I'm, I'm not, not you about mothers in this situation. There's this sense that if I start crying, I will never be able to stop. If I drop my shoulders, I'm out. I'm done. And I'll tell you two things. Number one, you're right. You will cry for Caden for the rest of your life. And you will find strength and resilience in your community and in people around you and in yourself that you did not know existed. You've got to walk towards Caden. You've got to walk towards your oldest son. You've got to walk towards your husband. And your husband's got to walk in the middle of all this too. So what your family, I believe, needs deeply is a no more running. This is who we are. This is where we are. We've experienced this great trauma, this great tragedy. We're going to talk to Caden. And at some point, it's going to be a while. At some point, Kay, you and your husband, y'all are going to let Caden go. And you let him go home. And right now you're hanging on to him real, 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 real tight. I'm so, so sorry. As it goes for your son, hang in there with the treatment. Let him be a part of this grieving process. If he's struggling with deep mental health issues, talk to that. Talk to his counselor about this stuff, okay? Um, don't give him things. Don't let him be in situations he can't handle. But tell, the, tell his counselor. The family's ready to start grieving this, and we have it in a long time. And we're going to start today. We'll be right back. It seems like everybody's talking about how crazy the housing market is right now and how powerless homebuyers feel. Mix that with the stress of moving and life change and job change, and you've got a tornado of anxiety fueling one of the biggest purchases you'll ever make. This is not a good idea. So if you're a new home buyer right now, my advice to you is to focus on what you can control, like the people you choose to help you in the home buying process. You need folks like my friends at Churchill Mortgage. Churchill is a Ramsey trusted provider that's been helping people with their home mortgages for decades. And their home buyer edge program will help you skip a bunch of the stress. Here's how it works. Apply to become a Churchill certified home buyer and cap your interest rate for 90 days. Then you'll get a $5,000 seller guarantee to help your offer stand out. So go ahead, take a deep breath because Churchill has your back. Check them out at churchillmortgage.com slash Deloney and get the home buyer edge today. All right, we are back. Let's go to Chris in Omaha. What's up, Christopher? How are you, sir? Good to be here. Thank you, brother. What's up, man? Man, it's an honor. Um, so I am a former teacher. Uh, I'm now uh, I'm an author, speaker, comedian. I work with a lot of schools in building resilient kids, uh, mentally, social, emotional learning, uh, that, that whole realm. And um, uh, I, I know uh, oppositional defiance disorder. Uh, I know it's a clinical diagnosis, but uh, myself and my wife, uh, as you know, uh, good Christian parents, we like to think of ourselves. Um, uh, I'm looking for your opinion. Um, Wait, hold on. You like to think of yourselves as what? 
Good parents? As good good Christian parents. Yeah. All right. Good Christian. I, I can't wait for this. You set it up well. So what's the, <laughs> I can't wait for the payoff here. <laughs> I'm wondering uh, your, your professional opinion, oppositional defiance disorder. I know it's a clinical diagnosis, but where, I, I guess my question is, it seems like it, it's more of a, of an excuse over the last number of years for, um, a lack of parenting skills, uh, at least from, from my vantage point. And I'm just looking to get your opinion on that, where you stand on, on stuff like that. Okay. Um, so I'll, I'll give you a rundown, but I want to make sure the line is clear here. So as good Christian parents, you're raising your kids to fill in the blank when it comes to behavior and response and all that. And since they're fo- they are living up to your expectations that you're setting as good Christian parents, other kids are out of control, dis- exhibiting these behaviors at school, um, lashing out, you know, being ugly with teachers, violence, those kind of things. And the line is back to people who aren't serving as good Christian parents. Is that kind of is that the is that the tr- is that the line here? I want to make sure I'm I'm answering your question. The, the line is more of um, it seems to me that the the boundary has been moved back to kind of make a an excuse for the disrespect the um, uh, I guess the overall disrespect and the behavioral issues and they've put a label on it now of you know the oppositional defiance disorder. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So. I'm going to start by, by answering it this way. Uh, I may have, I don't know if I've told this on the show or not. I don't, I don't know. I feel like I repeat myself all the time. Maybe I don't. So when my son was born, um, I had just graduated with my first PhD and there's nothing worse than someone who just graduates with a graduate school. The worst. I was an idiot. I just put it on everything on my email signature, told everybody. I was, I was annoying. And my wife has a PhD. She's brilliant. And her scholarship, her research was about um, working with kids. And so when my son comes along, we were older. We'd waited a while, and then it took us years to uh, actually have him. He comes along, and he's pretty much perfect. We were incredible. And I remember at some point at, like, age two or three, I was like, I think every other parent's an idiot. Um why are we even working at universities? We should go on the road and write the greatest parenting book because everyone else is stupid. And my wife, in her classic way she deals with me, is she just nods and just goes on about her day because she knows that she married a moron. And I really was like, man, why is this so hard? Like, just have high expectations and then have high discipline and have a high accountability and whatever. And then my daughter came along. And I don't know where she's from. It is not here. It's not here. And I realized in short order, oh, we just rolled the dice well, the first one. Actually, we've rolled the dice incredible with the second one too. They're just different kids. So I preface it with that to tell you this. I think like ADHD, like oppositional defiant disorder, like much of anxiety, depression is out there on its own. So I'm not going to mess with that one in this call Um, because that's got all kinds of other things going on with it. I think a number of these diagnostics are, have turned, gone from label to, I'm trying to think of the right word off the top of my head, label to core issue instead of representing an environment. 
Okay. So what you're at, what your question is, I think is not really the right question because you're asking an either or question. Is this real or is this if parents would just suck it up and start parenting their kids, right? This would go away. And the answer is more complex than that. I'll answer uh, true ODD. Yeah, you know me. True oppositional defiant disorder, <laughs> right? Um, it's a diagnosis and it's it, there is no test for it. There is no, you can't take, draw blood for it, right? It is not rendered lightly. Um, to quote a, an article, it's not rendered lightly. It is, it takes a while to come to this, this thing. And so now, especially in schools, we do have people who throw this label all over the place. No question about it. If you've ever met a truly ODD child, you go, <laughs> oh, so to answer, is it real? Yes. Is it over, um, diagnosed? I think probably 10 X. But here's where that I don't like saying that out loud because it's the kids who pay for it, not their school mm-hmm. systems and not their parenting systems and not their grandparenting systems and not their legacy trauma issues. Because when we say something like, yeah, you don't really have oppositional defiant disorder, we take a dysregulated child and a dysregulated child is just telling you they're not safe and they're not connected and they're not okay. They got nobody looking out for them. They got nobody on their team. And that can be everything from a school that starts at 6.15 a.m. and the kid has no sleep because mom is working three jobs and the babysitter maybe shows up most of the time and brings a half a box of macaroni, right? So you've got nutritional, you've got sleep, you've got supervision, you've got all kinds of things that as a stable parenting home of two where y'all make enough money that somebody, that things are able to happen in a certain way, okay? So- that's my loose answer to say, yes, when it's real, it's super, super real, super real, like chemically, neurologically real. And I think many kids are desperate for boundaries, desperate for accountability, but underneath all that, they are desperate to be looked in the eyes and told they are loved and to be shown they are loved through food and sleep and accountability and hard work and throwing a ball and moms and dads putting their cell phones down and grandparents not um, abusing mom and dad still. Does that make you hear what I'm saying now? Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of where I was leaning. I just, you know, I I wanted to hear the professional opinion. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I agree. Probably, you know, way overdiagnosed, but there are legit cases. And I, so I am, I'm joining a chorus of professionals who are moving wholesale away from 95% of diagnostics because they're simply not helpful, number one. Number two, you've got – it's not like you take a strep test. You go to any number of counselors and they're going to give – or a psychologist, they're going to give you different diagnostics or depending on which inventory they give you, they're going to come up with – so that whole – the whole spectrum of diagnostics, I think, is is under fire here, and it should be. And I think the the chorus of blame. So if you hear my show, I rarely blame. I rarely go after like you parents need to. Except when it comes to cell phones and screens, yeah, then I get after people. But it's bigger than that. So instead of saying, "Hey, you know what you just did? You did this." What I want to do is I want to give people a bunch of tools and say, "Make your kid go to bed at seven fifteen until they're in high school or 7.30 
or absolute max eight, and they're going to think it's child abuse. Or if you miss hanging out with your kid because you don't have community or you don't have these things, um, make your kids do chores, which means this happened to me the other day. I got, I went into my son's room. I was like, what, like, how do you live like this? And I walked down the hall into my room and I thought, (laughs) I learned it by watching you dad. Right. I have to, I have to do these things too. If I say, don't walk past the dog's bowl when it doesn't have any food and water, just fill it up. Then that means I got to stop and do it every time. Right. So I'm talking about, let's give parents some tools and grandparents, some tools and communities, some tools and schools, some tools for wholesale change. Not just saying that's not even real. Y'all need to suck it. You hear what I'm saying? Absolutely. All right. So that's my, that's my, it is real. It is overdiagnosed. I think the important thing to do right now is to tell kids that we love them and to show them we love them. And God, I could say that over and over again. Show your kids you love them. Show your kids you love them. Hold their hands, read their dumb stories, put your phones away. Let them mow the yard with you, even though it's going to take eight times longer. Let them clean the car with you, which is going to take a thousand more years. And you can't cuss when you find old gum in the seat. You just got to take it because you're going to be a grown-up. My son and daughter came and said, hey, can we climb up on top of the barn? We stacked a bunch of buckets together, and I was, how about y'all use the ladder? I didn't want them, but they need to do hard things. They need to be able to fall down. Love your kids. Show them that you love them. We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Be honest. How often do you find yourself pausing in the middle of a day and it feels like there is so much going on? And you find yourself wondering, what would I do with just a spare hour or 30 minutes? Can you even imagine? And it's in these moments that we often realize we're living someone else's life. Everyone else's schedules, priorities, and emergencies are driving our lives, and we can't keep carrying this load for everyone and everything. And it's in these moments when it feels like too much or when you need some help parsing through all the chaos that talking to a professional therapist can be a game changer. Therapy can be a place to work through the challenges you have with boundaries, time, commitments, and your own self-worth. And that can be in relationships with your friends, people at work, your significant other, or even how you can make and keep commitments with yourself. Therapy can be amazing for figuring out what even makes you happy anymore and how to go make it happen. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, try BetterHelp. Because therapy isn't just for people who've experienced trauma. It's great for building skills so you can be the best version of yourself. BetterHelp is completely online, so it's flexible enough to fit your schedule. Just fill out a short questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no extra cost. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Deloney today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Deloney. All right, we are back. Let's go to Aliona in South Carolina. What's up, Aliona? Hi, Dr. John. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am all right. Thank you. Of course. How are you? Um, so, um, never mind. I was going to ask you something totally unrelated. So go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> um, well, first, I would like to thank you and your team and all mental health professionals for walking with us every day as we heal and 
so we can better serve our communities and our families. I, I really mean it with all my heart and gratitude. So thank you. Hey, hey um, I am running a like a podcast and a radio show. The true <laughs> therapists who are in there seven hours, eight hours a day, every day, they're incredible. Yeah, you are right. High five to them. Thank you so much. So what's up? So today I'm hoping that you can share some thoughts on how I can best provide mental and emotional support um, to my dear family and friends who are currently fighting for their lives and fighting for their homes in the Ukraine. Oh, man. Tell me about what's going on. Um, so I'm, I'm very lucky and fortunate and blessed to live here in the United States. Um, I do have some family that lives here, but um, just like many Ukrainians in America and all over the world, we also have family and we have friends that are living in, in the Ukraine and um, we are able to help them financially. I'm very blessed that I can and uh, we're sending humanitarian help. But normally, if someone is having a hard time, I can sit here and hold their hand and listen and talk to talk to them. But I I don't know how to talk to my family. I don't know what to say to my friends because saying sorry sounds stupid and saying I understand, I don't. I, I, I don't understand. So I'm hoping that I can find a way to be there for them thousands of miles away and maybe a way to be here for my family and my community in the United States. They're also having a hard time. Oh, man. Well, number one, thank you for sharing that. And you are intimately tied to this tragedy that's going on. And um, you're speaking on behalf of millions who aren't as intimately tied. They don't have friends or family that are there, but they're just watching this. And the word that keeps going through my heart and mind here is powerless. This sense that you are watching bombs and tanks roll over your neighborhoods and your homes and children being born in bomb shelters and things and this sense of powerlessness. You couldn't get there if you wanted to, right? So there's there's just literally right. nothing to do. It's like watching somebody drown and you can't jump in, right? And it's right. just that sense of powerlessness. And then you label, I mean, you, you put on top of that, that survivor's guilt. Because you're oh, doing, yes. y'all are living well in the U.S. And there's a part of you that thinks, that feels bad about that. Tell me about that. I, I, on what it's, I, I learned this concept from you both and mm. number one, I am absolutely grateful and blessed to be here. And I'm grateful that I am safe and my mama is safe. My father is safe and I am incredibly hurt and devastated and guilty over the fact that I'm sitting here in a nice apartment with, you know, with my dogs. I, I have a way to pay my bills and even go to restaurants. Right. And I, how, how do, how do you, <laughs> I can't get over that. I, I, I just want, I, I want to fly there and fight. Yeah. That's what I want to do. Abs and that's what many of us Absolutely. Yes. If, if they said, hey, any uh, folks you want to hop on a plane, we'll fly over. Yes, those planes would be packed. Right. right. So um, I'm going to speak super honestly with you. Is that okay? Of course. Okay. You are, man, you are a brave, brave woman. I'm so grateful that you called. So 
Here's the bold statement I'm going to say, and I'm going to preface this with, this is a privileged statement. This is a fill in any kind of critique you want to say about this statement. Mm -hmm. But this is the truth, okay? Right. There's nothing you can say to them beyond I love you with a period. Mm. You will not have peace until this is over, period. Your guilt will not help them. The greatest mm. gift you can give them is joy and living your life here. And here's why. We often think that pain is some zero and joy is some zero. And if we've got a friend who is hurting, a friend who's in the hospital, a friend who's overseas while their home is being invaded by a foreign country, that we need to slide into that with them. And if they're our neighbor, like you said, you're dang right, man. I'm going into that house. I'm going to sit with them in their ugliest moments. And I'm going to make casseroles and cheap cookies, and I'm going to walk alongside them. When it's one of these paralyzing, there's nothing we can do here. Our instinct is to do the same because our bodies aren't designed to know in watching real time on cell phones, something that's going on 15,000 miles away on the other side of the world. And so our bodies have a pain and, and for loved ones and slide into help response. And we are trying to do that now and we can't. And we think that if we have, if we laugh, if I go to a nice restaurant, if I do something romantic with my husband, if I fill in the blank, that somehow we are taking joy from them. Right. And that couldn't be further from the truth. So flip it around. If you were there, would you want somebody who you loved, who had the, the cosmic blessing of being out of there, to just be miserable or would you want them to go have dinner? Oh, I would want them to live their life and I would, enjoy. I would want them to live wheels off. You right. better go out because I'm stuck here in a bunker, right? You know what I mean? And so I want to challenge you to put more beauty into the world in a time when millions of people are um, under fire and smoke and gray. Put joy into the world, put laughter into the world, put beauty into the world where you can. Lashing yourself in order for camaraderie only results in wounds on your back. It doesn't help them. Mm-hmm. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yes. Yes, I am. Can mm-hmm. I give you one other hard, hard piece of wisdom? Oh, absolutely. And this is the pot talking to the kettle here. Do you know that expression? <laughs> no, but I am going to Google it afterwards. All right, here's what the pot talking to the kettle is. This is somebody who is going to be very hypocritical for a second. Actually, you know what? I'm going to make a commitment on this show with you if you'll join me, okay? Sure. Since this kicked off, I have been obsessed. I have Mm -hmm. followed everything. I've got a curated Twitter account. I don't even have Twitter. I go on the internets to get through Twitter, but I follow a curated feed hours a day. 
I don't read the mainstream news because they're not telling us the truth, whatever nonsense I've come up with. And I am mm-hmm. obsessed with it, talking to military people, talking to Ukrainian folks, talking to Russian folks. Like, I'm obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. And here's what we have to do. We have to turn it off. Right. We have to turn it off. And that sounds so ugly and evil and privileged and nonsense. We are not helping them by just absorbing this 24-7, 365. The best thing we can do is be well so that we can rally people to provide money. We can tell the stories that aren't being told. We can write letters and they may not get there. They may not make it. There may not be a mail service there that's going to get them there. We can write emails or we can write texts that just say, I love you, I love you, I love you. I miss your face. Mm-hmm. Not, I'm sorry, not, um, I understand. What, yeah, none of that's true. You're exactly right. I just, I love you. And I'm putting beauty into the world with your name on it. Don't insert yourself into this combat zone. It doesn't help them. It hurts you. Can you right. and I make a, make an agreement that we're going to cut back on how much we're consuming? Oh, absolutely. I, um, my family in general and majority of our community that I am around, we have um, very consciously and intentionally turned off the news. And we don't watch a lot of news in general because everything we need to know, our friends and families will tell us. Beautiful. Um, but... One thing that we are facing, and this is a product of misinformation, mm-hmm. we are receiving a lot. I mean, right now we're hurting. Our hearts are breaking. Right. And majority of, majority of the people rallied around us, but we are receiving a lot of hate from misinformation, the labs information, Nazis, etc. Like sure. that makes it okay to kill innocent people and children. Right. So, what about that? Yeah. Can you do anything about? No, nothing at all. Yeah, nothing at all. You can turn it off. Right. You can turn it off. Right, right. It's like people who are picketing outside of a funeral. Like I'm not going mm-hmm. to give you real estate in my head. I'm not going to give you a voice at my table. My friend died. I don't care if you liked him or not. I'm going to go in here and sit with my friends, family. And I'm going to mourn and weep and then be about honoring him. And the best way I know to honor people is to put beauty into the world Um, and to laugh and to go dancing and to eat well and to make sure people around me are honored and Mm -hmm. to make sure I'm a part of a process that never allows this to happen on the dirt of where where I sleep. Right. Right. And so, um, yeah, there's misinformation out there. It's hard when somebody says something ugly or evil about people you love, especially people you love who are hurting. We tend to flock to that. Right. Right. Cut it off. Turn it off. Mm -hmm. I'm going to block you. I will never speak to you again. Have a great life. I wish you the best. May the force be with you and whatever other Star Wars references you want to put in their life. (laughs) Right. I'm just going to be done with it. I'm just out. Right. Right. Don't get a voice in my heart or my head. You know who does? my friends and my family and my community. And when I'm able to get a text message or a FaceTime with somebody who's sitting in the middle of Kiev and we can talk for a minute with the sirens not going off, I'm going to cherish that moment. And I'm just going to listen. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say, I love you. I love you. I love you. And I'm planting flowers with your name on them. And I'm going to go plant flowers. Mm, that's a great idea. Plant some flowers, Ukrainian flower. 
or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Put beauty into the world. Find, get with your community, with your family, with your friends, and just say, where can we put beauty out here? Number one, we're going dancing. Right. Why? Because Deloney is the worst. This guy, this podcast I listen to, they don't listen to it because it's not that great. But this podcast I listen to, um, he said to go dancing because he's a terrible, terrible, terrible dancer and the world needs better dancers. So we're going <laughs> dancing and we're going to plant flowers this weekend. So everybody, we're going to the nursery. Like what, you know, you hear what I'm saying? I love, love your heart. Right. Let's just turn it off. And this is me talking to myself in the mirror. So thank you for holding a mirror up to me today, Aliana. You've been a gift to me as well. If there's something that, um, what's one thing you can pass along to us, to me? You're talking to people who are there that aren't on the radio, that are just moms and dads and brothers and sisters trying to figure out what in the world is happening. Um, What would you pass along to us? Um, You know, I, the only regrets, and it's funny you said to tell people that you love them. The only thing I was thinking of on February 24th is what was my last conversation with my sister and my brother and my nieces and nephews? And when was the last time I talked to my dear friends? And it's that right now I am trying to be intentional about seeing my family here mm-hmm. in the United States and hugging my mom closer because her daughter is in the middle of the war and my father's son is in the middle of the war Mm -hmm. and just hugging them closer and letting go of things and spending more time with our loved ones and because I don't I I was terrified that my last conversation with my sister would have been an argument and I couldn't remember if I told Mm -hmm. her that I love her and what will you never ever do as long as you live again you'll never hang up the phone without saying I love you will you Never, never, no, never. I haven't. I still have not. Can I, I can have I, not. Can I tell you something? Um, just keeping in with Deloney wisdom, which is I just give the same pieces of advice over and over and over again. You know, it'd be really cool. It would be awesome what? if you and your mom and dad went and way overpaid for a really nice leather journal. And every day y'all wrote your brother and your sister a letter, how much you miss them, how much you're thinking about them. And when this thing's mm-hmm. over, and y'all are able to reunite and hug again, you'll be able to hand them that journal. Mm. And they'll be able to see that in spirit and in heart, y'all were with them. And y'all planted flowers all along the way. I would love that. Sound good? Absolutely. All right, I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to give you a copy of um, this new book that's coming out, okay? And it's not fully out. It'll be in, out in storage by the time the show comes out, I think. But um, it's here's here's the the genesis of the book is or the thesis is here's how to own what's the garbage that's going on right now, and then here's what to do next. Okay, <laughs> and you and your family can just walk through it together. Here's what we do now. All right, this knucklehead says to do this. All right, let's do this. Uh, how do we grieve? Here's a chapter on grief. So it's just going to be a playbook for the next five months five years right as this thing plays itself out and I need you to hear me say Eliana we're standing with you we're praying with you and you've got my commitment to plant some flowers and to put some joy into the world thank you so much we'll be right back hey what's up Deloney here listen you and me and everybody else on the planet has felt anxious or burned out or chronically stressed at some point. 
In my new book, Building a Non-Anxious Life, you'll learn the six daily choices that you can make to get rid of your anxious feelings and be able to better respond to whatever life throws at you so you can build a more peaceful, non-anxious life. Get your copy today at johndeloney.com. All right, we are back with... Do we have like any cool new music? We'll put it in post. Ah, sweet. All right, when this comes in, there's going to be some rad new music for a new segment called Facts Are Your Friends. This comes from a good, my, my good friend and really one of my most important mentors in my life, Dr. Andy Young. Uh, he was a psychology professor of mine, but he's also um, a just someone who's helped me walk through a lot in life, and he trained me on crisis response. He's the one who let me tag along for years with him and his incredible team until he finally asked me I could be on the team, uh, let me join the team after I hassled him about it. Um, but one of the most common things we would say, he would say and remind us over and over when we would go into situations where we were doing death notifications, where we were seeing the worst of the worst and sitting with people who have just experienced their lives implode was facts of your friends, facts of your friends. And so in this segment, it's gonna be a new segment that we're gonna start doing these are simple conversations about complex ideas. What's this diagnostic? Earlier on in this show, um, somebody called about oppositional defiant disorder, right? So we'll have different things about diagnostics, different things about, hey, in this movie it said that, so it's going to be simple conversations about pretty complex things, all right? And so today for the first inaugural Facts of Your Friends, do 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 Man, I'm really, uh, I'm crushing it, huh? <laughs> We're going to be talking about narcissism. Narcissist. That guy's a narcissist. Oh my gosh, she's such a narcissist. My mother-in-law's a narcissist. The number of emails Kelly gets about somebody's mother-in-law being a narcissist or somebody's dad being a narcissist. And then most recently, is Putin a narcissist? The leader of Russia. Is he a narcissist? Hey, is he a narcissist? Is is he a... a... (sighs) So let's take a step back and look at what narcissist is. And then we're going to get to, is Putin a narcissist? How about that? So, narcissist is one of those terms that's thrown around all over the place. Super quick to throw this label on just about everything. Jerk, narcissist. Somebody says something we don't like, narcissist. Somebody calls and is like, well, come on, narcissist. We just throw it around, throw it around. So, let's step back and look at what actually narcissistic personality disorder actually is. It's important to know when you're dealing with a narcissist. Their life is about them, not you, okay? So clinically, narcissistic personality disorder means someone has an inflative sense of importance, a need for admiration, a lack of empathy, a sense of entitlement at a pathological level, okay? Here's some common traits. Exaggerated sense of self-important, constant excessive need for admiration, fantasies of success and power and brilliance, beauty, this sounds like James. Monopolizing conversations, not really James. Monopolizing conversations and inability to recognize the feelings and needs of others. The DSM, boy, that's my favorite book. A pervasive pattern of grandiosity, a need for admiration, right? Believes they are special, requires excessive admiration. My friend, Dr. Cloud, Henry Cloud, um, talks a lot about narcissists. He suggests that... <laughs> They have this inflated sense of self-worth and people are always looking to feel better. And so they get a new, they, they get what they want at dinner and they need to feel better again. And then they send the the food back at the dinner table. They're not going to give me crap like this. And then they need to feel better. 
And so then they take it out on you. And then I'm not driving that car. You drive it. And it just, it's this constant need to get better. And it crushes people and it drains them. And it leaves everybody around them thinking there's something wrong with them. It's gaslighting. You end up feeling like you're not good enough, right? So at the core fundamental level, a narcissist uses manipulation and psychological control to get what they want. They live in a world of denial and fantasy to avoid reality. This is an emotionally stunted person, somebody who stopped developing. I like to say it's the inner seven-year-old. They spit on things. They hit things. They lash out at things. They fantasize about Star Wars and dragons and you know, being a rock star and having a certain body. They're stuck at seven-year-old level, like my daughter, Okay. They may treat people bad, but their lives aren't about other people. It's about them. They are the focus of their world. Others are just fuel for that engine, okay? So here's a few important notes. Narcissists rarely seek help unless something important to them is at stake, and even then it's rare. Also, not all people with narcissistic personality disorder bang drums all day. They're not all loud and brash and outwardly confident and socially charming. Some are shy, hypersensitive, very thin skin, very fragile, and they will drag you down underwater gently. You don't even know it until suddenly you're gasping for air. Some come in loud and, ah, that's the one on TV, right? The one that many of us deal with is the one that's slowly underwater, right? Now, most people are not narcissists. Most people are jerks or morons, are kind of an idiot. That guy is just a jerk. Or some people have just had things given to them for long enough that they don't have a psychology. They don't have a operator's manual for, um, y'all are coming home for Thanksgiving. Um, y'all going to be here at two, right? Because we're going to eat at three. So y'all need to be here by two. Hey, mom, we're not going to come home for Thanksgiving this year. Actually, we're going to get a cabin out in the woods and just go stay there because it's going to be better for all of our souls. And then mom doesn't have an operator's manual for that. And so we're going to teach her and we're going to lean into that. <sighs> all of us can be self-absorbed sometimes. All of us can be selfish sometimes. That's part of being human. If you're not worried, <laughs> yeah. If you're worried that you're a narcissist, you're probably not. That's one of the core, <laughs> core functions. If you think someone close to you is a narcissist, pay attention to how you feel in their presence. Pay attention to how they treat you and others. And this is, um, as we get into like the Putin discussion, just stop saying narcissist. Just stop with the diagnostic. It's an easier way to live. That diagnostic, I believe, is for psychologists and psychiatrists and some counselors and some family therapists. But it's overused and it's not always helpful. It is helpful when you're teaching somebody, hey, this is them doing something to you. You're being gaslighted. You're allowed to set boundaries. I like to serve people by working at what they're talking to them, not about others. So sometimes it's important to point out what other people are doing to you and to say like, hey, that's not normal. That's not okay. Or that guy's abusive or that guy. The diagnostic stuff, I just leave off. I just leave it off. Here's why. You deserve boundaries. You deserve to have your needs met. You deserve to be loved. You deserve to not be abused. You deserve to um, not find yourself being dragged underwater. So when people say, 
is Putin a narcissist? I, I'm not going to give that credence. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. And that diagnostic label doesn't help anybody. You got a guy that appears to have invaded a sovereign country and is trying to take it over. And if he can't take it over, he is going to just blow it all up. And he's going to take out women and children and soldiers and babies and infrastructure and monuments, all of it. It's going to burn all the ground. And so I'm going to deal with that reality. I don't care what the diagnostic is. Diagnostics are, can be helpful, but they can also be used to blame. They can also be used to excuse. So I'm always going to look at behavior, right? So going back to if you think someone's a narcissist, what do you do? How does your body feel when you're around them? Do you get that feeling in your guts like, this is not going to, then don't go. That's on you to set a boundary. Focus on what you can control. Don't diagnose people. Just stop diagnosing people. Focus on what you can control and especially kill this fantasy. You can't change other people, period. You can't. You can change you. You can't change your coworkers. You can't change your office mates. You I guess office mates and coworkers are the same thing. You can't, you can't change any of this stuff except for you. All right, so that's our first installment of Facts Are Your Friends. We're talking about narcissism. Spend your life diagnosing people less and setting firm boundaries and loving yourself and others more. Just make that a part of your life. I think that might be the most genius thing I've ever said. Is it? That makes you sound like a narcissist. Oh, my gosh. Or at least a megalomaniac. I've never asked myself that question, James. <laughs> maybe as we wrap up today's show, hey, listen, this is my shout out to Brother T. Hawkins, man. Uh, one of the greatest rock drummers of all time who died this weekend um, suddenly. Um, the number one, my legit number one favorite rock song of all time. It's called Everlong by the Foo Fighters, and it goes like this. We'll miss you, Taylor. Hello, I've waited here for you. Ever long. And tonight I throw myself into and out of the red, out of her head, she's saying, Come down and waste away with me, down with me, slow down. You you wanted it to be. Just how you want it to be. I'm over my head, out of her head, she's saying, and I wonder when I sing along with you, if anything could ever feel this real forever, if anything could ever be this good again. The only thing I'll ever ask of you is you gotta promise not to stop when I say when. We'll miss you, Taylor. We'll see you soon. Coming up on the next episode. I have like 150 pounds to lose in okay. addition to battling depression and anxiety. Sounds to me like you're drowning. Sounds to me like you're slowly suffocating. I do feel like I'm suffocating. Yeah. I was kind of surprised recently when the war with Ukraine started. It just um, kind of sucker punched me and took me back to some of those major places of anxiety. So do you have major life stuff going on? Well, I'm pregnant with our fifth child. <laughs> 12, 10, 8, then jump down to 2, and here's the buddy for the 2-year-old. <laughs> Ayo! <laughs> Coming. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the buddy. 